We have lived a lot of life in the last two years. And amazingly enough, that was just the last year. And as I sat this week trying to figure out how to tell the story of a year, I just realized I needed more than one song. <laughs> it was, there's just a lot that has happened. And we can give absolutely all glory to the Lord because I'm not smart enough to have figured that out. The story of a church isn't the story of an it. It's the story of a who. And that is your story. It's a story that's happening this morning in uh, India with the Fadley family in India-ish uh, with Russ Rankin, undisclosed location. <laughs> it's a story that's happening with Andrew and Glenda Basher, who are in West Virginia this week. And I could go on and on and on. You're like, please don't. I won't. I know uh, we've got to get to lunch at some point today, but it's remarkable what the Lord has done in uh, you. And uh, I'm forever, uh, I'll be forever in awe of this, of what the Lord is doing. If we were to uh, end today and say, that this was fun, let's get on with our lives or whatever, I, this is amazing. Like, this is way more than what I would have, what Paul said, more than you could think or ask. Or, so I think in the, in the pastor world, you've got to be careful to uh, try to plan too much because my plans weren't that good. Uh, I, I'll just tell you right now, if we'd have gone with my plan, we wouldn't, none of that. It would have been a whole different thing. And to allow the Lord to do what he's done in the ups and the downs and the halfways in betweens has just been remarkable. So Romans chapter five, can you believe it? We finally are getting almost to the halfway point of Romans. And as you're turning there, I'd love to just uh, turn this over to the Lord that we might hear from him today. Father, boy, you know that uh, it's your word that's the lamp, your promises that are sure. And so might we all be hearing from you today. Lord, don't allow my uh, lack of articulation or eloquence stand in the way of what you want to tell us this morning. I truly believe that you want to write your will on each and every one of our hearts uh, individually. And might you do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. It says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, speaking of the future and heaven. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And now hope does not disappoint because of the love of God that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates or proves his love uh, toward us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, 
having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I spoke with Eric Fadley yesterday. If you're new, that was a photo of him and his family that moved to India this last year. Just people like us, normal people, that just listen to what God said, and next thing you know, them and their four kids are living in Angol, India, working in an orphanage that specifically takes care of special needs children. Remarkable calling. But I spoke to Eric yesterday because Eric was burying uh, another child. The second child in three days had died at the orphanage. And he was in what he described as a creepy Stephen King-looking cemetery. And he just needed to talk to somebody. Uh, when we left, we were, he left, we were sort of trying to figure out if what he did qualifies as being a pastor because they were being called to administrate and help operate this orphanage which has an excess of 100 children. And I'm thinking, Eric, I got a feeling uh, that while you think you're going over there to do spreadsheets, that I think God might have more in, in mind for you than uh, formulas on a spreadsheet, even though he is doing that. And, and it was an interesting conversation because he said, you know, I'm not necessarily sad because I don't, that sounds weird, but I'm just, I'm angry at the injustice and I'm angry at the, this. He said, you know, when you think about it, this little girl that was blind and mentally uh, incapable of comprehending and said, so I'm, in that way, there's this rejoicing thing of where I'm, uh, I know that she woke up and she could, for the first time in her existence, could see and she could speak and articulate and understand. He said, so I'm, I'm there. And he said, but this other part where I just, <laughs> and I won't necessarily use the words he used, but said, I just feel like I just want to say to the, you know, to the enemy, just, you know, screw off. And I thought, he's like, I'm sorry, you know, I just, that's why I'm like, obviously don't, you don't have to apologize for, for being honest. But it was what, what I feel like what he was really doing was glorying in tribulation. And when you read the word glory, in that word, it's a word that actually kind of means boast, like smack talk, like WWE style to the enemy. That I'm in the middle of this tribulation and I'm just saying to Satan, you are as worthless as a rudder on a duck's butt. Worthless. <laughs> that I am standing in this creepy Stephen King cemetery at a time when the enemy's plan for this girl was to die alone in a chop shop in some government institution in India, but you're saying to the enemy, not on my watch, that I'm standing here in a creepy Stephen King cemetery halfway around the world saying, not on my watch. It's a glimpse of Eden, of the community that we were meant to have, to be in community with each other. And she couldn't even understand it but I know who could and it were the principalities and the powers and the demonic forces they understood what he was doing which was disrupting their plan to say that this is a glimpse of Eden it's a look at what he meant when he said thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
and to understand that death isn't failure, that not dying isn't defeating death. That's cheating death, but it's not defeating death. Defeating death is resurrection. She will rise again, just like all of us will. And Eric stood there in that creepy Stephen King cemetery saying to Satan, is that all you got? Is that it? It's like we're spiking the ball while the Satan is still on the field. The game might not be over yet, but another point that was meant to be scored by the enemy was instead scored by the kingdom of God, and Eric is just spiking the ball right in the creepy cemetery and talking smack to the enemy. Does he not on my watch? Not here. And I, as I read this glorying in tribulation, it thought, if anybody knows the drill on tribulation, uh, it's Paul. And often we'll read a passage like that and immediately go to our day-to-day things, our struggles, whether it be sickness or whatever. And, and, and I'm not here today to, to, to argue one way or the other in, in that point, but I am here to say that that isn't what Paul included in his list of tribulations. And I point it out simply because if I immediately go to the application of it that it's about uh, I was sick or I had this or that, you know, or I'm in debt or those things that, that we might say as a trial, sure. But we oversimplify what the context of what Paul was saying Because the tribulations he speaks of were tribulations while he was on mission following Christ. I believe that, I actually, we heard Dr. Rankin say this at Awaken to Mission Conference. He said that, I believe that in every office, every boardroom, every whatever in hell is a scripture that is a reminder to them of their goal. And it is the, this gospel must be preached in all of the world and then the end shall come. And if you are the enemy, what better plan could you have than to thwart that? To keep that from happening? Because he's got more time in his game plan. And so when Paul invites us on mission, the lie of the enemy would be to say that I am not called at someone else's deal to go do that. And uh, boy, it's worked extremely well in our society. That we actually have this professional clergy versus the amateurs, and you guys let me handle this because I know how to do it. And whether I'm trying to justify you writing a tithe check or whatever it is, I, that's the, the idea that we have is that I'll take care of this and you guys go about your lives. That is not the idea that the Lord had. The idea that the Lord had was that we are all, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, all called to the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling God, a man unto God. Every one of us, all of us. And it's just a matter of whether that is on your work or whether it is in India, or, but we're all called, none of us get a pass, none of us. And Paul would say that in that tribulation, on your way following Christ, we can glory in those, is what he's referring to. And here's his resume of, and you thought you had a bad week, right? If you ever feel like you had a bad week, go ahead and bookmark this one and put it on your fridge so you remember, uh, it, could, it could get worse. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, in verse uh, 24, 3. In labors more abundant, in stripes basically being whipped above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received the 39 lashes, the ones that Jesus received. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and not at Bonnaroo. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. You think you're in over your head? Try being floating out on some driftwood in the sea. Verse 26, in journeys often, he was on the road all the time, in perils of water, now it starts to take on a little bit of a Dr. Seuss feel to it, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the country. I mean, it just goes on and on of these things that he suffered. In weariness, verse 12, uh, 12, 27, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides all of that, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. Paul said, this is a guy that had a little bit of a resume on what it meant to go through some trials and tribulations and he's, that's his list. And I bring it up because this is the guy that wrote that I've learned to be content, whether I had much or whether I have little. And the secret he would say in Philippians is that I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And I know that that scripture is awesome for when I'm trying to pass my test or get into that thing that I want to do. But he was saying it in context of, I've been in prison, I've been out of prison, I've had a lot, I've had a little, and in that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content. And interestingly enough, that contentment, again, if you're the enemy, your plan would be to thwart it so that we don't want to do any of that. I want to be comfortable. I mean, Haiti, have you been there? It stinks. Like you walk off the plane and it's like you've walked into somebody's mouth who hasn't brushed their teeth. Just like. (laughs) Poverty has a smell and it's not a good one. But you walking into that and this thing, oh, I can't do that. I can't lead a a group at a a jail like Allie Wilson has done. You know, I can't do what Jana does and the comfort that she brings to her patients through the gospel and loving. I can't do that. I'm not that. And so I don't do anything. The New York Post this week, there was an op-ed piece by a guy named Kyle Smith, and he was uh, comparing George Orwell's 1984 and Aulus Huxley's A Brave New World. Huxley, by the way, a student of George Orwell, Vice versa. Orwell was a student of Huxley. And they both wrote books into the future trying to say this new thing that was going to happen. And of course, we kind of, if you've been around uh, America lately, the big thing is the 1984, Big Brother's watching you and all that stuff that we see. But what Kyle Smith was saying, and as far as I know, Smith isn't a Christian, was suggesting that the Big Brother thing is a farce, it's a red herring, because what's really happened is Huxley's thing has come to pass, which is that we would be lulled by comfort, by safety, by no problems, into needing nothing, and we would be happy. Except that as a nation, we are taking more prescription antidepressants than it ever in any time in history because it's not working. We were crafted for adventure. Our soul was made to long for that, And the beauty of it is it's because our loving Father loves us so much that he knew what it would take to bring the gospel, to bring his word to the masses and to your neighbors and to around you. And it would require adventure. So how about I wire you guys to need that and desire it and to be on fire when it happens to you? You've seen the Avengers. You know what you want, right? 
I'm going to be flying around in a little iron suit and being funny and witty, super witty. It's like that's what we desire is this thing, but what we do instead is we, we shelter our kids, we shelter us. We don't want them to get in any danger, so we just build up this fence, and the next thing you know, we're bored. We're depressed. And Jesus said it was real simple. If you lose your life, you'll find it. Like, you can take him really quite seriously. And the adventure that we have, that if we'll do that, and instead of what our world and what our society has called for us to do, what we've sort of bought into, it's amazing how alive you can become. It's amazing how much, I mean, I look at this year, and wow, this was a great year to celebrate, but I'm telling you what, and some of you have lived with us this year, you will know and you will agree with me when I say that this year has also been hell. We have faced major obstacles, insurmountable opportunities, things that we had no way of knowing what to do, and we were way over our heads, and yet we can look back and say that we spiked the ball in the end zone because the game isn't over. It's time to re-up for another quarter. Paul would say to us that if we could, in the middle of that mess that we're called to be in, to not hide out and to say, I don't want any part of that, but to run into the battle that he's called us to be, to know that you and your work, you and your neighborhood, you and your community are called, equipped, and wired to do these things. And when you face these obstacles, it's the end of the book, there's actually this quote in a brave new world where John the Savage argues, this guy that was recruited from out of this, this safe environment and brought into it, and how miserable he was once he got into this. And he says, I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. And Mond, one of the main characters, replies to him, you're claiming the right to be unhappy. But what they didn't know, what they are explaining in this book is something that Jesus told us forever ago, is that we will be happy. Because when we overcome those obstacles, what he's telling us right here, Paul says, is that I'm going to hit these things and it's going to teach me patience, perseverance. If you've been stuck in a traffic stop lately where it's just the, the traffic is forever there and you think, I'm never going to get out of here, if not, go to Atlanta and it'll happen. And when I'm in that and I'm stuck in that moment, it's like I can't go anywhere and it teaches me patience. And then it teaches me what it says, uh, character in the New King James, I think the regular King James says experience. Because my experience after sitting there a while is I realize, oh, wait a minute, I will actually will eventually get out of this. My experience teaches me that I am frustrated, but I'm not going to die here in this traffic, even though it feels like I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to get out of this. People survive these all the time because you have experience. And experience gives us hope. In the movie, The Hunger Games, you're welcome. <laughs> There's a line where, I don't know, the dude that looks like the creepy Santa Claus guy says, do you know why we do this? We do this to provide hope. He says that a little bit of hope is effective. A lot of hope is 
dangerous. I believe that that is a quote directly from a board meeting in hell. A little bit of hope is effective. Yeah, it keeps us going, keeps us... A lot of hope is dangerous to the kingdom of God. To the kingdom of darkness. Excuse me. And every situation I go through, I'm 41 and I've been through a few of these and I'm sure I've got a few more to go. I had this idea at some point in my life, a naive one at best, that I would eventually, I'd go through this thing and then I'm done and then I could coast. I think it was the Joyce Meyer line that's new level, new devil. Just a promotion. And you think you're going to pass this test or you're going to skip on? Like I'm from a town where they just pretty much get you through the system. Whether you pass or not, they'll figure out a way. They just want you out of the system. Not in the kingdom of God. You don't pass the test. You go back and we take it over again. Over and over and over. And, and I say that to say that we're all experiencing different levels of tests. In this room, there are... wanted God to do this thing that if it could just happen... I could reach the masses with the gospel. This idea that I am called to be this and I just can't figure out why it's not working the way I thought it was. God, if you would do this, I swear it'll be awesome. And then there are a group that is like, I'm not really sure that I'm in on this yet, but I feel kind of like I'm spinning and I'm not really getting anywhere and I don't really understand why. Jeremiah was a lot like you. In Jeremiah chapter 18, it's told that Jeremiah was struggling because Babylon, the northern country, was getting ready to come and annihilate Israel. Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq. The Babylonians were coming to open up a can on Israel. And Jeremiah is like, uh, God, what do I do? I can't understand this. And he was freaking out. And the Lord tells him to do this in Jeremiah 18, verse 18. I'll read it to you. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. And verse 5, And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? And says the Lord, and look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Jeremiah, maybe like you, maybe like me, didn't really understand what was coming down and why it was going down the way it was and what am I supposed to do about it. And he said, go to the potter's house, which might have felt a little confusing. Hey, go down to you know, the factory, Third Coast Clay, and, and watch what's going on. And what he would have seen there when he got there is well, a few things. He would have seen the master potter. Vases. Is that southern for vase? Vase. French. It's Creole. Making the, so the master potter, who, by the way, is more artist than he is scientist. He's more creative than he is mathematician. Making this piece of clay, the master potter, he would have seen a lump of clay, which I don't know if you've been in that class at school, clay is kind of nasty, kind of resembles other things in life, but it's just this pile, and he would have seen him take this thing and lump it onto the wheel, and then he would have seen the wheel itself spinning around and around 
and around. And the thing about life, the thing about serving the Lord, is it can kind of feel like you're going in circles and not getting anywhere for long periods of time. You can feel like, man, this trailer is here every week. And it's because it is. We have to unload it, and we have to load it. We have to unload it. We have to load it. Going in circles. You can feel like that that Sunday school class that you're teaching, we don't have Sunday school, whatever our kids' thing is, <laughs> Sunday school, we, uh, that just feels like it's every week, and it, like I'm not getting anywhere. I taught this little Bible study to 20-somethings for years and years, and it just felt like, you know, we're just going in circles. I, and I, I, by that time, I was a little bit older. I'd been to this rodeo enough times, or I wasn't as freaked out, but it definitely gets to feeling mundane, a circle, circle, every day, after day. Never going to get out of here. Probably a little bit like Peter, if you remember the story. But Peter was in a boat with the disciples, and the storm came. And understanding this, Peter was not the most popular amongst the disciples. They were always barking at him. He was always saying something dumb. And here he is, trapped in this ship, this boat, which would have been extremely hot and sweaty. And here comes the storm. And it's like, you know, God, get me out of here. And here comes Jesus, you remember the story, walking on the water. I wonder if the reason he was so quick, hey, Lord, is that you? Bid me to get, come get you is more of a, I got to get out of here. I got to get off the wheel. And he did, and the Lord bid him to come. He jumped out of the boat, and he walked. And you know the story, he sunk, and Jesus basically takes this, you know, curls him and throws him, not back on the water, back in the boat. The wheel is going, and there's Peter right back where he started, right back in the fix that he was just in because the potter still had some work to do, and it required some more spinning. And I wonder sometimes if you look and you're the guy on the clay, you're clay, and you just jump off the wheel, and the potter is like, huh, picks you back up, slaps you around, puts you back on the wheel because he's not done with you. It was so spinning and so daily. And then he would have seen the potter with his hands putting pressure on the clay. The mundaneness of the pressure that you feel like, ah, it's just I'm here all the time. And now this pressure that I got to perform, this pressure that I got to make this happen, this pressure of how am I going to pay for this pressure of, I mean, we started this uh, church two years ago. And I, I tell you, and it's arguable that I still don't, but I had no idea what I was doing. It was the first time in my life that I had done something where I absolutely couldn't figure out how to do it. And everything I could figure out felt dirty and it felt like we would be... Uh, uh, muddying the waters of what God had called us to do. So we had to keep it, and I just didn't know, and I felt a little bit of the pressure, but what I really felt was the potter's hands on my clay, molding me. Again, a moment that I had had before in my life many times, but this was the big one. It's like, again, new level, new devil. And I'm 41, I guarantee that I got a few more of them, and so do you. The pressure of the potter's hands, he would have seen that. And he would have seen the clay finally become finished, this vase. And the potter would pick it up and take it to his house. And I'm assuming if you're, the, if you're like me, you're the, you're the vase, I'm thinking, awesome, time to go on the top shelf right where everybody can see me. I can reach the most people. It's going to be awesome. And he walked right by the top shelf and right into the kiln. 
and places the vase in the fiery kiln and shuts the door behind him because there was more work to be done on the clay. It needed to be hardened and it needed to be strengthened for what was to come so that I wouldn't be flaky, so that I wouldn't be chipping up and cracking up. I, I needed to go through that as well. The, the, the dailiness, the mundaneness, the boringness of it, the round and round and round, the pressure that you feel from it and the heat that is coming it's all part of a process that the potter is using to create you into what he has desired you to be. And it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's better than what you could have cooked up. Pun intended. And you might think, Darren, that's great. But I remember in 2 Timothy that he says that there are some vessels in 2 Timothy 2.20 that are made for honor and some for dishonor. How can I know that I can trust the potter to make me into an honorable vessel? Because basically honorable and dishonorable there is one is a vase, the other is a toilet. That's what he's saying in 2 Timothy, that vessels are made this way or that way. And the way that we can know this is that he comes back to it here in chapter five. I'm gonna switch to NIV because my thing is over there and shut down. He says that, uh, verse six, Paul answering this question, how can I trust that this guy, this God has got my best interest in mind? He says, you see, verse six, at just the right time when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, he proves, verse eight, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you when you polished yourself up. He died for you when you were this lump of clay, an enemy of God. He said, I don't think I was ever an enemy of God. Jesus said, whoever, uh, you're either for me or you're against me. You, you know, he's, you had an option and we were enemies of God. And he said, at that point that I died for you to prove my love for you. You, you know, all these, there's this uh, swath of television programs of the, uh, the flip this house kind of stuff. And it would be the equivalent of you go to the nasty, disgusting, maggot-infested, dead possum in the crawl space house and say, Shannon, we're getting this house. And she says, oh, I love it. It's awesome. And of course, then I would go and hire one of these dudes to come in and make a TV show and spruce up the house. And, but she loved it when it was nasty and full of maggots how much more? And that's the principle. That's what he's saying. You were nasty, full of maggots, and I came and I loved you enough that at that point I died for you, not when you got cleaned up. That's how I prove my love for you. And when you're on the wheel that is spinning and the mundaneness of that, the pressure of how am I going to get out of this pinch I'm in over my heads, and the fiery trial that seems like it's consuming you on all sides, to look to the side and to look at the hands of the potter, and you'll see that there are holes in that hand. As the pressure is applied, there's a hole in that hand to remind you that he allowed himself to be nailed to a rough, wooden, awful tree to die an awful death. And you look to the floor below and you see the petals being peddled by feet that had holes in them that were nailed to the same cross. And I tell you this, that if you see the hand of a God that would do that, that he is good. And whatever that thing is 
that you want, that ministry opportunity, that job promotion, that thing that I don't have it yet. It feels like I'm never going to get out of here. Look to the left and see the hand with a hole in it that says, I got you. I got you. I'm not going to let you fall off of this thing. I got you. The feet that are saying, I'm putting this at just the right speed, just the right amount. And that fire to say that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Who was it that appeared in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It was Jesus in the furnace with him. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. And you will come out the other side solid and uh, sturdy and beautiful for his purposes. Last thought and then we're going to go. I was reminded this week because I, I mean I know I'm surrounded by people that have big dreams and big visions and things that God, they want to do for the Lord and and many of us have felt it before the why is it that it's not working God I have this awesome vision every time I ever met with an artist before, when they were young when they very first got in the business I never can remember ever meeting one of them that didn't have a vision of standing in front of large crowds of people telling them about Jesus. Every one of them. Nobody ever had the vision that I'm in a coffee shop for the rest of my life playing for tips. That wasn't the vision. It wasn't the vision that Salome had for her two boys, James and John. Remember them? In Matthew 20, as they were about to come into the city and they knew big things were coming, His kingdom was going to come. The festival was there. It was going to be awesome. Jesus was sending for the horse the goat, I mean the, uh, the donkey. And Salome in Matthew 20 would come to, to Jesus and say, hey, master, might I bother you for a second? And she prayed that day, hey, when, my, when you come into your kingdom, on the day you come into your kingdom, can my two sons be on your right hand and on your left hand? And she prayed it and Jesus said to her lovingly, uh, can they drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? Can they be baptized in the baptism that I'm going to be baptized in? And of course, they're over there. Absolutely, dude, we rock. Absolutely. It's going to be huge. We're going to be, tons of people are going to be reached. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus didn't say anything more. And he didn't answer their prayer. And it was just a few days later that there would be some women around the cross, Mary and Martha. And it says there in Matthew 27, 50-ish. There was Salome, the mother of James and John. And as she looked up to that cross to see Jesus on the day that he was coming into his kingdom, the prayer that she had prayed, can my sons be on your right and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom and thought, how stupid am I? I didn't know what I was asking. How dumb of me to have thought that I know more than you know. On the right and the left hand would be two thieves who were being brutally murdered and executed in the same fashion, in the same baptism in which Jesus would be baptized, drinking from the same cup that Jesus drank from. And I'm here to tell you, trust him. You didn't make, we talked about it last week, how disappointing it was for Ashley because she didn't make the, the team. And we sat there just, I don't know if you've ever been on this as parents, just hitting refresh refresh, refresh on the browser because they were going to list the names. And we sat there for, I don't know, 20 minutes. And then finally the names popped up and her name wasn't on the list. And as she typed the words, I didn't make it to her friends. As a father, that was just one of the more painful moments that I've had. But 
It was also a moment to remember, boy, I'm so thankful for the Jesus on a cross that would say, I got you. That wasn't meant to be, and there's a reason. You don't know it. You're going to get it someday, but for now, just allow the spinning, allow the process. Hang on. I got you. The wheel is going. It's under control. And I say that to say that for us, to not let fear keep us back from what God has called us to do, to be to not try to jump out of the fire. If you're in there, know that Jesus is in there with you. If you're spinning, Jesus is there controlling it. But to not allow fear to say that I can't go do any of that, so I'm gonna just, in the quietness of my own home, build up these fences of protection, of control, which is an illusion, so that I can't take that risk, so I can't go out and get possibly hurt or in danger and to know that whatever you're go, what the Lord is calling you to do calling you forward it's his foot on the wheel it's his hand on the clay and he's got you under control whether that is in India or whether that is in Cool Springs or whether it is in West Virginia wherever the Lord is calling you do not allow fear to keep you back from it don't allow it to paralyze you and if you've jumped off of the wheel Know that the heavenly father, the potter, Jesus himself would slap you back up there again and keep the process going. As we worship for just a little while longer, how can you and I glory in tribulation knowing that this is what is happening, what the enemy has meant for harm that he is going to use for good? It might mean if you're, it might mean if you're suffering in, in lack to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to do this because I'm glorying, I'm spiking the ball in the end zone and saying to the enemy, not on my watch. I'm not going to let this paralyze me. I'm not going to jump off the wheel. It might be in a relationship that you are currently struggling in and to glory in it might mean to, I'm not getting from her what I need as a husband and to glory in it would be to say, but Jesus, I'm loving her anyway. Not on my watch, Satan, take that. For the things that I don't understand to say that I don't get that, but I get the cross and I'm going to, as Paul would say in Ephesians, when you've done all you know to do to stand, stand. And for some of us, that's just standing spike the ball take that Satan I'm not going down it might be if you battle with depression to think oh I need to be home I don't want to be around anybody today I don't want I just want to be by myself to say Satan no 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 no. I'm I'm going to it's Sunday I'm going to go to church take that Satan I'm tired and I'm I don't have anything. and Maybe it's just taking a dinner to someone in need. Jessica Kettner, our beloved Jessica Kettner, whose husband is in Af- or, uh, somewhere in Eastern Europe now as a Marine, deployed again, was in the hospital this week with gallstones. Maybe it's just taking dinner to her to say, hey, you know what, Satan, take that. To glory in tribulation, to talk trash to the enemy by in the face of what he would want to do to us, to harm us, to say, no, no, I'm turning this around for good. Not on my watch, Satan. No way. We have communion available in a moment. There will be buckets that will magically appear. You're like, what is that for? We 
that's for our time of tithes and offerings. And so if it's a part of your worship, you know to be prepared that that's coming. The communion is available. What better way than to remind yourself of the hands with holes and the feet with holes than at communion to say, ah, you got it. You got me. You got this one. And it's a reminder that that blood was spent for me, for you, so that whatever thing I didn't get that I wanted, the thing that I'm waiting for, he's got it. It's all under control. And as we uh, worship, just let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord talk and move in your hearts. Father, we give this service to you. We give ourselves to you. And for those of us that have maybe jumped off the, uh, the wheel, Lord, put us back on. We're there. We're, we're pliable and ready to be molded into what you have for us. That we might be created into what you have for us, which is so much better than what I had for myself anyway. This life is so much more awesome in trusting you. It's just awesome. In Jesus' name, amen.